Life just happens. I remember, I remember in 208, I became the president of Masters. It was in a bit of a mess at the time, and, and, uh, and I felt for two years like I was pushing a rock uphill, and it started, and God came and helped us, and it started going down the other side a little bit. It was wonderful, but it was difficult, and, and I, I don't know about you, but, you know, life isn't really a straight line. It sort of goes all over the place. I, uh, I have a friend who just lost his job. What do we do when life happens? Painful. Let go. Painful. Really difficult. Um, I, how many of you have children? Do you remember when your children started to date? Do you remember that? I don't know about you, but my daughter was a rescuer, so she dated all kinds of people that she was trying to rescue. I can't tell you how many people I prayed out of her life. It was just, oh my goodness, it was frightening. And she just, she just um, I used to remind her it was only puppy love, but it was real to the puppies. And I discovered that happens at the other end of life. I, I have a good friend whose mom is, her and her husband are our close friends, and her, her mom moved into a Cedars building maybe five or six, seven years ago, maybe, I don't know, and she met a wonderful man there. They're both in their 80s. It's hard to call that young love. But it's still real to the puppies. <laughs> and so they started spending time together, and they have meals together, and he takes them for drives, and and, you know, I, I, I remember when my kids were dating, I would say, has he held your hand yet? Or he, have you held her hand yet? Have you kissed yet? I mean, I, probably nosy, but parents have that right. I'm afraid to ask these people. <laughs> anyway, he, he fell two weeks ago and broke his hip, mid to late 80s, and they did hip surgery, and for some reason they did some testing after the hip surgery and discovered that he's full of cancer never coming home. They're going to put him in a hospice, it looks like. Just yesterday, I got a text from close friends of ours in Montreal. Their dad has been a pastor with us for years and was a missionary for years, just an amazing guy. Got cancer five or six years ago and was doing really well, had all the treatments look really good. In the last two or three weeks, it just all of a sudden took a turn for the worse and he's in a hospice. Life happens. Have you noticed that? Sometimes life just, just happens. I was talking to a pastor's wife, and Sheila and I were together, and a little three-year-old boy in their church has been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. Where do you go with that? See, I, I think when life happens, we always, it just does. Well, what do we do when we don't know what to do? That's the question. What do we do when we don't know what to do? How do we respond when... How do we respond when others around us seem to suffer and struggle? What, what do we do with that? How do we respond when it's us? What, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus when we don't understand? Have you not had those moments? I've had a few of them of my own. Well, you can't read scriptures very long until you run across a guy named Paul. Paul's an amazing guy, wrote one of the first writers, the greatest writers of the New Testament. He was the first missionary of the early church. He was the first apologist. He was the first theologian to put it in print. But he was also a mentor, and he finds this young man in one of his journeys, and he begins to mentor him. And as Paul mentors him, he got so close to him that he actually called him his son in the faith. And this young man actually ended up in ministry, and at the current moment, he's pastoring a church that Paul planted in Ephesus. And he's going through a really hard time. He's going through one of those life moments. What do we do when life doesn't work? He's going through one of those moments. 
And Paul writes to him and gives him some answers, I think, that are for him and for us. So here's what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, not blood son, spiritual son, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that you may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Let's pray for a moment. God, I, I, uh, I, I pray today that you would help us with the truth and understand how significant you are in our lives when we need you most. And all of us have those moments. And so, God, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Timothy, young man, he had some problems. <laughs> he really did have some challenges. He was handicapped by, for some physical ailments. We're never really told what they are, but he has some physical problems. And then on top of that, he's incredibly timid. He's kind of a backward person. He doesn't have a lot of drive or energy to get out in front of people. Just kind of timid by nature. Uh, he certainly is in an issue because at that moment, Paul, when he's writing this letter, is actually in prison, and they're conscious of the fact that the church is now being persecuted. And then to make it even worse, he's actually, he's actually pastoring a, a church in Ephesus. He's just young. He's so young. And he's having all kinds of opposition. There's all kinds of texts. And if you read Timothy first and second, you'll see some of the opposition he faced. He had people that were false teachers, people presenting myths as truth. People were declaring he wasn't telling the truth. And so we're, you, you do understand, folks, if we really are the church of God, there will be opposition. If, really, if we really are telling the truth, there will be people saying other things. And so that's what happened in Timothy's life. And, and it became so bad that, that the Bible says that he actually was in tears. I mean, that's how painful it was for him. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And he was right there. And so Paul comes along and he wants to encourage him in the middle of the tears of his life. And he, and he says this. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I remember your tears. I long to see you so that I might, because you're going to bring joy to my heart, Timothy. You're my son in the faith. You encourage me. You build me up. Paul is not denying the problem. Paul is not ignoring what's going on in Timothy's life. He knows it's real. And the other reality is he actually says that prayer is not enough. Because while he talks about prayer, he goes on and talks about something else. And one of the most famous scriptures we all know, and I'm sure if you've been a church believer or a Christian for any time at all, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Paul, Paul is not denying the weaknesses in Timothy. He's not denying any of that. He's not denying that he needs help. But he wants Timothy to get help from the right place. And so he directs him to the scripture. He directs them to a truth about God. He directs them to something that in writing that he wants them to understand would lead them to the place of God. And it reminds me of our key verse in all of this. See, it really it is. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Where do you go when you have a problem? Where do you go when life is bigger than you? Well, we have a father. 
We're his children. We're his sons and daughters. And that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. He said, don't come to me. I'm glad you're talking to me, but I'm only your spiritual father, but you have a father bigger than me. The Almighty God is your father, and he wants you to know some truth that's rooted in the kingdom and rooted in God, not rooted in him. That's the truth I want to share with you today. It's amazing. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and a self-discipline. And when we ask, God is saying something powerful. He's saying, I will come by my spirit. If you will ask, I will come. Anybody you ever need that once in a while here? Am I the only one who's ever needed that? Look what he promises him. Power. Now, I'm not going to take a long time with these because they're so simple and so profound. Power is really a supply of strength from the outside. Have you ever had a moment when you didn't know what to do and you prayed and somehow the answer just came? Anybody like that? Is there anybody here who's ever been healed at any moment in your life? Anybody here who's ever had an answer to prayer? Anybody? Well, I'm in a good crowd today. Do you know the truth is? That's power from the outside, folks. That's God coming along and saying, I have a supply that you don't have. I have an ability that you don't have. I am God. You're not. I love you. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I have power for you if you'll just ask. Part of the problem we have is when we ask, we often ask so specific, and God has different plans, and he doesn't always answer the way we ask. And if we can only understand that his way is still better than ours. We have a supply of power from the outside. And then, just in case we didn't get it, he actually loves us. And so, when, when, when we have this need, not only does he give us power from the outside, but he comes along beside us. So we've got the outside pressure of God, presence of God, power of God, but we've got a God who walks with us, talks with us. In the still of the night and the busyness of the day when you're driving your car, when you're listening to a song in church, what a radical thought. You read the word, God comes and says, I want to be with you. That's why he sent the Christ child to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. It's amazing, folks, to think that God actually knows you by name. Isn't that amazing? God never gets you mixed up with anybody else. Okay, think about that for a moment. Isn't that amazing? Well, I'm the only one who's amazed by that. I have an older brother who's bizarre, friends. He just, he is, he's just bizarre. My mom was an incredible cook, and my favorite thing she ever made was coconut cream pie. It's so amazing. Like, it's so amazing. It's about an inch and a half thick. It's succulent. It's creamy. It's sweet. It's delicious. I don't know how she does this, but the meringue is light on top. It got little beads of brown sweat on top. It's incredible. My brother, his favorite food is Boiled potatoes with onion gravy. Now here's what you do to make that. You take onions and you boil them till they're mushy. You add salt, pepper, and butter, and you pour it over potatoes. My mother got old. I will never forget the first time I went and she had us mixed up. <laughs> and I got boiled potatoes and onion gravy. Ooh. I survived, but barely. From that moment on, when I knew we were coming, I called her and put an order in. Do you know God never mixes you up with anybody else? He knows exactly who you are. 
exactly where you are, exactly what you need and how you need it. And God loves you enough that he comes alongside. Man, that's powerful. And then, and he gives us a spirit of self-discipline, which is really security. And this is very interesting. As I did a study on this and a study on the Word, it kind of blew me out of the water a little bit because I was expecting something different, but that's not, it isn't. Here's what it says. Sometimes when we get into a mess, sometimes when we get into a crisis, sometimes when we're pushing the rock uphill, sometimes when we don't know what to do and we don't know where to turn, sometimes we change our life. And the word self-discipline actually means this. That God is inside you, and if you'll do what you always do, you get up at the same time, you have meals at the same time, you pray at the same time, and you keep the ritual, the discipline of your life in your life. If you keep it normal as much as you can, in that normalcy, God will come and speak to you and give you strength and will add a security to you that no matter what happens around you, you know that you are in God and God is in you, and that's enough. That's what it means. It's amazing. It's amazing. Here's the problem. Isn't this powerful? Power, love, a sound mind. It's amazing to me. Supply, support, and security are ours for the asking. Here's the problem. It is not a one-time gift. And that's the problem we make as Christians. We believe it, we read it, we hear it, it impacts our life, and we think, okay, I have this forever. I have this forever. I can lay back. I don't have to do anymore. I don't have to seek God anymore. I can just relax because God's looking after it all. No, no, no. It's not a one-time gift. And so Paul is so concerned about that that he begins to talk to Timothy about some things, about a way that he can actually change that. Because the reality is that those things, power, love, and a sound mind, actually come by faith. And so he wants to kindle faith in Timothy's heart so he can have that new fresh every day. And he tells him how to do it. First of all, he says, there are people in your life that matter. Look what it says. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm now persuaded lives in you. We have no idea anything about Lois or or Eunice at all. We just don't know anything about them. The Bible doesn't tell us much. We do know there's no mention of a husband. There's no mention of Timothy's father, so we know that those could be issues. But we do know from what's said here that they were godly women, and they modeled faith for him. They stepped into his life and said, if you want to know what following Jesus is like, watch us. It reminds me of a statement in Hebrews. Paul did the same with Timothy. Oh, let me just go to where I get it here. Uh, I'm really doing well. This kind of faith that they modeled is this, honest, sincere, genuine, trusted, dependable faith. And I will get there. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of faith and imitate it. So that's what Paul did, that recommended to Timothy that he does it because of his mother and because of his, his grandmother. Who were those people in your life? Who were those people in your life? I remember when I was in teacher's college a long time ago, I actually started out working in a factory in an office, and then I became a teacher. I just can't keep a job. It's the truth, really. Anyway, I ended up being a teacher, and I remember in teacher's college, and the classes were doubting faith, and some of them were speaking against Christianity, and, and it just became a really hard time for me. I just, I, I really wondered if I really wanted to stay in this thing called Christianity, did I really want to do that at all? And as I, I wish I could tell you, I had a divine revelation that God came down and grabbed hold of my heart and spoke to me, you have to serve God. None of that happened. 
None of that happened. I remember I was walking the streets of Ottawa one night and wrestling with this in my soul. And God reminded me of all the people that had mentored me, the people in my life, the one who taught me faith and the one who taught me how to pray and the one who taught me how to love people and the one who taught me about the lost and the one who taught me about generosity and the one who taught me how to touch the presence of God. And I realized that if I walked away from faith, I would hurt all those people that who invested in my life. And I couldn't do that to them. They had invested way too much. And I determined if I was going to be in it, it was whole hog or not at all. And from that moment to this, I've never doubted this. I just said, this is it, God. It's all about you, and I'm going to serve you to the best of my ability. I thank God for the spiritual people in my life. Who are there in yours? Who are the people that have touched you and caused you to say, wow, they make me want to be a better Christian? One of the guys I taught that taught me about faith, his name was Gib. And I remember some years, oh, I was so impressed. I said, I want to live God for God like Gib lives for God. And some years later, I, I got to be his pastor, which is amazing. And I thought, wow, this is great. I've actually grown. I'm more like Gib than I ever thought I would be. The problem is he hadn't stopped growing. He was still way ahead of me. Still serves God to this day. Late 80s now, maybe 90s. Who are the people in your life? Listen, folks, we should keep those people because they're mentoring to us. They're models to us of what Christianity is really about. That's what Lois and Eunice did for Timothy. They modeled faith. They mentored faith. They multiplied faith through him. People touch our lives. We should hold them in our memory. Their examples should encourage us and build us up. They're intended to give us sincere faith, faith that works regardless. That's Paul's first advice to Timothy if you want to keep your faith alive. The second one is interesting. It's about the past. Look what it says. We talked last week or two weeks ago about the different kinds of spiritual gifts and about the same spirit that is the source of them all. And so we have this moment in Timothy's life. He says this, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So I don't want to get into some big deal about the laying on of hands. I don't really want to talk about what all that means. I just want to say to you that in Timothy's life, something happened at that moment. In Timothy's life, he had an encounter with God and he was transformed forever because he met with God face to face and it changed him. And so Paul said, do you remember that? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember when you had that encounter with God? Do you remember when that happened? Do you remember how you sensed God's call and God's presence? And he had a genuine encounter with God that absolutely transformed him. Have you had any of those? Being with you in Peterborough has reminded me of a few of them I had when I was a young man. And psychologists tell us by the time you're 30, you have four or five turning points that direct the rest of your life. And I'm grateful that a few of mine were spiritual. And I remember being in chapel one day, just an ordinary chapel at that little Bible college chapel up on the hill in Peterborough here. And I remember just ordinary service, nothing special. I don't know what was going on. It was just a service. I don't remember anything about it at all. I just know when I went to leave the chair to walk into the aisle, I broke into tears, and I kind of was sobbing, and I thought, I'm so embarrassed. What am I doing? So I stepped back into the chairs, and I stopped, and it got a little better, and I went to leave again, and I broke into tears again, and I got sobbing again. I, I thought, God, are you trying to say something to me? This is about quarter after 12, I think, 12.30 maybe. And I remember just, okay, I can't do this. I can't leave. Maybe, God, you're saying something to me. And I got on my knees at that chair in chapel in Peterborough. 
and God broke my heart and worked in my soul, and I didn't even know I was called to ministry. I thought I was going to be a teacher missionary, mainly teaching. And God began to equip me and touch my soul about a call to ministry. I was there until after two, about ten after two, and I met with God. Thank God for those moments. Do you remember having them as well? One of the great gifts to me is when I finally get up, I turned around, there was a teacher sitting in the front. He never prayed for me publicly, never laid hands on me, but he sat with me because God was doing a work. Thank God for the people in our lives. Thank God for those past moments with God. We, we, don't, we don't want to miss them. And would you remember one of your encounters with God? Do you remember? Would you do me a favor? Would you just stop for a minute, close your eyes, and think about one of those encounters in your life? Would you do that? Just for right now, close your eyes. Think about an encounter in your life with the living God. I wish we had time so you could share them with the people around you. We should keep those, hold those encounters in our memory. They should encourage us and build us up. They're intended to give us sincere faith, faith that works regardless. And then Paul says there's something more, there's something deeper than this. As good as that is, there's something better, something richer. I want you to know, but I want you to remember. I want you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Here's what he's saying. The picture here is actually a fire that's burned down to coals. If you leave it long enough, it'll go out. It's not burning with fire. It's not burning with flame. There's no flames flying. It's actually just, it's actually just starting to die. And he says you need to fan into flame that which you have from God. The coals are still there. But you need fresh fire. You need to add wood to the fire. You need to blow on it. You need to understand there's a spiritual picture here that the God of the people of our past and the God of the past encounters with God is the God of the now. And God wants us in the middle of when we don't know what to do in life and when life is bigger than us, He wants us to come to the living God now because He's waiting for us to come and He's ready to meet us now. And that's what he says to Timothy. Listen, you've got some models. You've got some examples. You had people who modeled it. Your past gave you encounters with God, but you can have another living encounter with God right now. You don't have to wait. The, the, fire, the coals are there, but you need to fan them into flame. One author said, keep it hot. Another author said, keep it blazing. Don't let it go out. Keep it going. And for Timothy... For Timothy, it was a reminder to go back to that moment when the laying hands were on. But meet with God now with your gifts. Meet with God now with who you are. Meet with God now with your need. God knows all about Ephesus. God knows all those false teachers. God knows what to do with them. God also knows what to do with you in the middle of the storm so you can survive. And whatever storms you've been through, God knows exactly what they are. He's not surprised by any of them. And he can meet you right there in the middle of the storm and transform your life. Am I the only one who's happy about this? I got thinking about this, and the greatest example I remember of this is a man named David in the Old Testament. I'm not a big Old Testament. I do love the Old Testament, but I preach out of the new mainly. But David is in the chaos in his life, friends. He's in the chaos. Look, look what it says. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary. Behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. 
I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Listen, David is in a mess. He's the king of Israel. There's a civil war going on. He has fled for his life. He's living in the desert. It's so bad, there's no water. The Bible talks about the desert a lot. Have you read that in the Scriptures? I understand according to people who know better than me, there's seven kinds of desert in the world, and in the little country of Israel, there's six of those kinds of desert. So David could have his pick. None of it was good. It was all dry. It was all barren. There's no water. More than that, it's a civil war. The country is divided, and one half of the country are with him, and the other half would like to take his life. And it gets worse. The rebellion on the other side is led by his own son, Absalom. Wow. That's about as bad as, does that not seem about as bad as it could get? And David says, in the middle of the chaos, he understood faith. He said, earnestly, I'm going to seek God. Some, some versions have it early. For all of you who are non-morning people, it doesn't mean early in the morning. How many non-morning people do we have? My wife doesn't know her name till 8 o'clock in the morning and a cup of coffee. 10 without the alarm. Sorry, I shouldn't pick on her. She's not here. It's early in the problem. What do we do most of the time? We run all over the place, try to figure it out ourselves, go to friends, friends, ram, family, whatever. We think it out, we pick notes, we, do, we ponder, we, we worry, we fuss, we fret. David said, I'm not going to do that. I'm in the middle of a chaos here. Life is terrible, and I'm going to do the important thing. I'm going to go to God early because I'm going to go to him early in the problem. I'm going to go to him first, and I'm going to go earnestly with all of my heart. And then he does five things that change everything. He remembers the last time he had a sanctuary meeting with God. He remembers the last time he went to the sanctuary, not, not a church, folks, not a temple necessarily, but a meeting place with God where he and God knew the presence of God was real. And he went to that place and he had a living encounter with the living God. And he knew that God was on his side and he was on God's side and somehow that was enough. And he said, in the middle of the chaos of my life, I want to keep my faith fresh. I want to keep it alive. I want to have it burn within me. So I'm going to go to that last meeting, that last meeting place, that last time I met with God. I'm going to go there and ask God to meet with me again. Can I tell you, I have a little suspicion here. I don't think his last time was 20 years ago. Just thought I'd mention that. I'm going to seek you, God. I'm going to find you. And when he gets there, he actually has a meeting with God because he says something profound. He says, you know, God, your love is strong. It's so powerful. It's better than life. He's a moment when his faith was stirred again because he had a meeting with the living God. And the Bible says that he then began to praise God. And the truth of God's love stirred his heart to praise. And the Bible says that he praised with lifted hands and with his lips he opened his mouth and he began to praise the living God. Isn't it amazing? In the middle of chaos when we praise God, it actually changes things? Is that not incredible? Begins to praise God. As he praises God, I, I love this, as he praises God in the middle, he begins to, this is incredible, he begins to speak gratefulness for God's blessings. 
What do you mean God's blessing? There's a civil war. Your son is leading it. They're trying to kill you. You're in a desert with no water. What do you mean blessing? Did you read? That's what it says. He begins to thank God for the goodness of God in his life. And that's so powerful that it leads him to begin to sing. I don't know if David could sing, but I know he's musical. He can play the harp. So maybe he could sing. For all of us non-singers, I hope he can't or couldn't. Doesn't change the reality. He began to sing. He began to sing praises to God. And in that moment, the God of now showed up. He began to sing praises to God. And it had such a lasting impact on him. It had such an impact. He says, you know, when I go to bed tonight, when I lie down, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm going to remember again the presence of God and the blessing of God. I'm going to remember the nearness of God. I'm going to remember that God is with me. God has met me. And while David wasn't there, God, David could easily have said, God did not give me a spirit of timidity, but of power, supply, and love, support, and a self-discipline and security. David could have said that. I don't know where your life is right now. But he's the same God. It's the same God. God, right now, right now, will you touch us and give us sincere faith? I love how Corey Tamboom put this. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Will you listen? Learn and live for the Father today. Do you know what's interesting? That in Timothy's life, nothing changed. He was still in Ephesus. He was still young. He was still timid. He still was facing opposition. But he was changed. He was transformed by the presence of the now God. He was transformed by the presence of the living God. You know what's interesting in David? He was still in the desert. Still had no water. Still in the middle of a civil war. Still led by his son Absalom. Huh. You know what I love about David in this moment? He did not pray for victory over Absalom. He did not pray for peace in the land. We might have done that. What he prayed for was the presence of God. And that's what he got. And his life was changed. God, will you forgive us for every moment we go everywhere and all over the world except to you? So that when life happens and God happens, would you, would you forgive us? Would you let this be a moment of righteousness and forgiveness? Here's all I know is right now. I don't know where you're at. Some of you are maybe high as a kite in God today. I don't know. Some of you may be struggling with issues. And I carry a lot of people in my prayer life, and they weigh me down sometimes. I just know this is what they need, and I need it to help them get there. But at the end of the day, I know it's God. Can I say this to you? God did not give you a spirit of timidity or fear or tears. God gave you a spirit of power, supply, a spirit of love, support, and a spirit of self-discipline, security. He wants you to have a divine encounter. And so the way we're going to do that today is you notice we're early. It's only quarter to 11. We did this on purpose. I kept the message a little shorter, which is a bit of a miracle for me. 
And, and we just wanted to have an extended time of worship so you could have a God now moment. Coming out of the Word, we're going to sing two or three songs, four, I don't know how many. I just know this, if you feel really empty, ask God to fill you up. Would you say it with me? God, fill me up. God, fill me up. Oh, you're not doing well. God, say it with me. God, fill me up. God, fill me up. Let's stand and sing.